I was set today to be offering another in a series of sermons entitled, Why? This Sunday, Why Are We Reformed Christians? As we have been watching and hearing news from the Middle East and all that is happening throughout the world and uh, wars and rumors of wars, I ask that uh, we set that theme aside and set the appointed scripture for today aside and let the week reveal what, uh, what scripture should be read today. And um, so I, I hope that you will trust me with this selection of Psalm 46. Psalm 46, page 517 in your pew hymnal. Uh, listen for the word of God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its water roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our Redeemer, we pray. Amen. Not sure where to start this sermon. I wish I could start it with a joke, but not. Not sure how to keep it to 20 minutes. Not sure how to speak from the heart without running the risk of being misunderstood. Not sure how to take into account that there are folks watching or listening online whose faces I cannot see and who cannot look me in the face to be assured of my heart. Not sure how to avoid upsetting some of you or except to ask you for grace as I seek to offer you grace as well. Not sure how to be patient with someone out there who might want to examine every word I say for something to catch me on or criticize or say that I'm too naive to preach, except to ask you not to, except to ask you to listen and let the Holy Spirit perfect my imperfect words. Of course, the sermon is incomplete. There's always more to say. 
So I will pray that the Spirit will help not only me as a preacher, but you as a hearer, as I tell some of what I've seen, some of what I've learned, some of what I am hearing in these days that feel a bit perilous as we watch the land we call holy, where things have been smoldering for a very long time, catch fire with unspeakable horror unfolding before our eyes and impacting our world and impacting some of us very personally. In my pastoral word to you at the end of the service last week, I mentioned my long-standing connection to the Holy Land, about which many of you know some, but none of you know all the full details. My connection goes back more than 40 years and has many parts to it. When I was studying there in the mid-1980s, the Anglican Bishop of Jerusalem said to me once, you know, Wes, if people come here for a couple of weeks, they write a book. If they come here for a couple of months, they write an article. If they come here for a couple of years, they're usually pretty quiet. There's something true in that quip. For to know that land is, in some ways, to be silenced by it. Silenced in awe, in pain, in stammering passion, in nagging hope for some path forward in ways that are hard to describe to someone who just observes. So to that question about where to start, this is a sermon, so I'll start in Scripture. Israel Steinmetz gives me a way in with an interpretation of Psalm 46 that I found very helpful this week. You just heard the psalm read with some phrases in it that are very familiar to many of us. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The nations are in uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. And that most familiar phrase of all in verse 10 Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. This verse is usually pulled out of the psalm and taken personally. It's often used to help us face life and find peace with life's problems. We put it on plaques, we stitch it on pillows, we carry it on cards in our purses or our pockets to read it at times to calm down, and we should. But Israel Steinmetz points out that if you put the words back into the psalm and read it for what it says, you can see that this beautiful verse is actually part of a world historical call to the nations. 
The psalm is about war. Ellen Cherry calls the whole psalm an anti-war poem. Read the verse just before the one that we hang on our walls. God makes the wars cease to the ends of the earth. God burns the shields with fire. God destroys what destroys, upends what tries to control, undoes what terrorizes, whether the terror is in a moment or experienced over a long time. God breaks the weapons of war. That is what this psalm sings as much as a dream as a statement of fact. The being still in this psalm is a bit different from quietude or an individual's trust. It is in the psalm a call to those who make war to lay down their weapons and not play God with human life. The Hebrew for still implies loosening one's grip. The Old Testament scholar Robert Alter writes that it can be heard as an injunction to cease and desist from armed struggle and to unclench the warrior's fist. And at the end of that same verse, God is exalted over all, meaning this call is a call to all people. There is no just war theology in this psalm. There is no resigned justification to the lesser of evils. There is no skirting the same command that we hear in Jesus. Stop! Act differently. Still the weapons and the passion that prompts you to take them up. Listen. Then get to work on God's vision, even in the face of what feels like an existential threat. Be still and know that I am God, we hear. I think it's easy to think that real power lies in the hands of people with titles and money and weapons and credentials, and that real knowledge lies in geopolitical calculations. Maybe they do. I suppose we can have that conversation later. But as a preacher, responsible first to Scripture, I need to say, that when we claim Christian faith, we claim the possibility that the world works differently than that. Or at least that it can. We claim that real knowledge is actually in the heart. In the heart of our Maker, in the hearts of people. And we claim that real power lies not in what force we can bring to wield, but in what wisdom and what courage we can find when we seek a higher truth and bear a deeper pain and upend logics that pretend to rule. So a 
Palestinian Christian and three American rabbis published a statement together last week that concludes like this. We seek a third path that neither perpetuates a fearful nationalistic response nor sustains an unjust status quo. This moment calls us to slow down, to sit with pain and complexity and grapple with our discomfort. It is a moment for digging deep, seeing across differences and remembering our deep yearning for peace and justice. It is only through compassion and empathy that we will find a different way. Sounds like they've been reading Psalm 46. And so I see a sidebar article this week in the online version of the Israeli newspaper Haaretz, to which I subscribe. It is an interview with Yaakov Argamani, whose daughter Noah is a hostage in Gaza, even as we worship today. Yaakov saw a video of his daughter being taken on a motorcycle from the music festival that we have heard so much about. We should pray for her safety and for other hostages like her. Her name is Noah. In the interview, even while upset about his daughter, Yaakov asks for heart. Let's do everything, he says, Let, don't, but don't just use logic, use your emotions. Let's be honest. In Gaza, too, families are mourning their children. There, too, fathers worry about their children. They have fatalities, too. What will more deaths achieve? They're in pain just like us. They are a mother's feelings, a father's feelings. They are the feelings of parents and brothers and sisters and grandfathers and grandmothers. Understand these feelings. I'm fighting for Noah in my way, not with anger, through dialogue. It's what I really feel. Amazing. And so I also see a post on Facebook from Sami Awad, a Palestinian Christian leader who has spoken here at Pinnacle and who our pilgrims in 2018 visited and who I am blessed to know. Sami is sincerely and publicly sensitive to Jewish suffering, even while he is very clear about the injustices that Palestinians experience every day under occupation. His response is shaped by his faith. As he writes, I choose. I choose to stand against your hate and not hate you, to resist your persecution and not demean you, to overcome your oppression and not suppress you, to respond to your violence with nonviolence. I choose to speak loud and clear for freedom and life and not insult you. I choose love to be my motivation. This love is not some romanticized love that makes me submit to you and give you my all. This love is my strength because it conquers my fear. Only in this love can we come together to break all systems of oppression and create the new. 
And so I send a WhatsApp message to the Israeli friend that I have known longer than any other, Rabbi Jeremy Milgram. I've talked of him before from this pulpit. His life has been a long expression of Psalm 46, supporting people in that land who have refused violence and sought relationships with each other. I send my message to him to express concern, to see how he and his are doing, and ask what's on his heart. I ask him what a simple pastor can say to a flock at a time like this. And he writes back, Love your neighbor as yourself. Or more down to earth, he quotes the Jewish sage Hillel, That which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow human being. It's so simple, he writes. The failure has been obvious for so long, and who cared? Tens of thousands have paid with their lives, 2,000 just this week. Isn't that enough? And so in a challenging, painful, and sometimes passionate statement that was published last Friday called An Open Letter from Palestinian Christians to the Western Church Leaders and Theologians, written by some people we know, I read this. Although many Christians in the West do not have a problem with the theological legitimation of war, the vast majority of Palestinian Christians do not condone violence, not even by the powerless or the occupied. Instead, Palestinian Christians are fully committed to the way of Jesus in creative nonviolent resistance, which uses the logic of love and draws all energies to make peace. And so Orly Noy, board chair of the Israeli human rights organization, Bitsalem, writes last week from her perspective. Morality is never a privilege, she writes. It's never a luxury, an accessory that we can don when it's convenient or remove when less so. Morality is not an indulgence that we can't afford during a catastrophe. And as if offering a coda, a coalition of Israeli human rights organizations add their own words this week from which I'll read just three sentences. Even now, they write, especially now, we must maintain our moral and humane position and refuse to give in to the despair or the urge for vengeance. Keeping our faith in the human spirit and its inherent goodness is more vital than ever. One thing is clear. We will never surrender our belief in humanity, even now, when doing so is more challenging than ever. And lest we be left with the impression that it is only Christians and Jews who hear this call, Khalid Abu Awad, a Palestinian Muslim who, with his family, has suffered greatly, writes this week, from which I quote, when God created man, 
God very well knew that we have within, within us the capacity for terrible evil. But he also knew that we have within us the capacity to do tremendous good in the world. It is sometimes hidden, sometimes suppressed, but it is always present. On both sides, we must restrain ourselves despite our rage, our pain, our sense of grief and grievance. This is what the God we believe in says. Oh, and, and there are many more voices speaking within the echoes of this psalm doing the work of restraint and listening and humble respect for the other, even if overwhelmed. I think that over the long haul, these are the voices that we will remember. So, so what can I draw from these voices coming from different perspectives and yet seeking a similar way forward? One thought. For people of faith, Geopolitics is not a team sport. We can seek truth from wherever it comes and know that our own views are always partial. We can repent, be still, and know that we are not God. Another thought, for people of faith, geopolitics is not an arena of inevitability. We don't say, oh well, that's just the way it is. We never speak of human beings as collateral damage. We see all people as God's children, and as Jesus teaches us, even our enemies. And we are called by our loving Creator, blessed be God's name, to always ask, can things be different than they are? What can we do to help make them so, whether we succeed or not? And a, another thought, if you'll let me. For people of faith, geopolitics is more than the immediate. We can bear stories of pain and injustice and tell our own. We can tend to the context of events and the reason for events while still making careful moral distinctions. We can see gray without losing our souls. And I believe that we can admit that people who serve and work and bear burdens and solve problems and bury the dead and balm wounds and tend to children and seek justice and give joy and say words like I've repeated today, Sometimes they know more. In fact, sometimes they know far more than the newsmakers of the day. In 2006, I had the privilege of co-leading a group of about 20 ministry students from Yale Divinity School to the Holy Land. One of our evening meetings was with Yitzhak Frankenthal, an Israeli Jew who founded the Parents' Circle after his son Eric was killed by Hamas in 1994. The Parents' Circle is an organization committed to dialogue and shared action 
between bereaved Jewish and Arab families who've lost their loved ones at the hands of the other side. Their work is to learn and teach that grief knows no bounds and no borders. These family members have chosen peace over conflict, and so they honor their loved ones by taking care of each other across their differences. They tell us that it isn't easy, but they do it anyway. And even this past week, members of the circle met to be still in the way Psalm 46 imagines and to listen for a voice in the din. At one point in that evening, back in 2006, Yitzhak looked in the eyes of each one of those ministry students and he spoke directly to us all and I, I remember him saying this, please, he said, speak clearly and courageously even if people accuse you of betraying one group or another or of being politically incorrect. Please, he said, speak clearly and courageously of what you have learned here, that enough is enough, that peace must, peace must come, that all life is sacred, that all land is sacred, that justice for one people requires justice for the other. Help us, he said. That same group met with uh, Reverend Mitri Raheb, who has spoken here at Pinnacle and is now the president of the University of Arts and Culture that we support in Bethlehem. And by the voice of that Palestinian pastor who has suffered so many losses himself, they were reminded of Jesus' simple but world-shattering words. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Amen.